last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I tried to give you a little backstory on Krishan Hogan saying that it's impressive. He came from being a janitor to all of a sudden to the combine and prepared and ready to go. And then somehow we got onto the fact that Nate List hates janitors. And you're the type of guy who does janitorial services and calls yourself a maintenance technician. You are the worst person. And it's impossible for you to have an aneurysm because you have all that padding when your head is stuck up your ass. Oh, I know. I showed him to my wife and she's like, Jesus. I'm like, yep. And I have been to the mountain. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me, as usual, is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What's happening, Matt? Participating in the Roto Underworld patrons only Dynasty League startup. If you're a patron of the show, if you are a member of the Underworld officially, you're allowed to join one of our startups. And our first Dynasty startup initiated yesterday at noon. We have a four-hour time clock. Oh, no, four hours. Oh, no, it's not enough time. Well, guess what? With a four-hour time clock and participants that want to move the draft along and have fun and not drag it out, we're through seven rounds in 24 hours. Nice. That is exceptional. I'm so proud of all 11 members of the league, including myself. Pat myself on the back because look at these guys I drafted. It's a two-quarterback league. Third pick overall, I went Ezekiel Elliott because David Johnson was already off the board. Followed that up with Russell Wilson and then Dak Prescott. Get my quarterbacks taken care of. Set it and forget it. Then I went Travis Kelsey. It's a two-tight end league. The format is two tight ends, two quarterbacks, three running backs, five receivers, and a flex, eight bench spots, six taxi squad spots, deep league, very deep starting rosters, start two tight ends, want to get Travis Kelsey, I set it and forget it, tight end, and then two wide receivers to finish her off through seven rounds. Willie Sneed in the sixth round, Jordan Matthews in the seventh round. I am ecstatic about this draft. And it's the second Dynasty startup that I participated in because I was also invited to the Ultimate Dynasty Podcast League. We talked about this earlier. Dynasty League podcasters invited me to be part of the club. I am one of the top Dynasty League podcasters in all of fantasy football. Were you invited to that league, Nate? I see where this is going, Matt, and I don't really know if I want to respond to this. Uh, you know, if we're being totally honest, no, I was not invited to that league or any podcast leagues at all. Have you ever been invited to a fantasy football expert league? Nope, not yet. Hmm, okay, hmm. well... Your time is going to come. I'm sure you'll be invited to an expert league at some point. I'm sure if someone's running a Dynasty League podcasters league, that they will think of you next time. Certainly the members of this audience appreciate you. Even if the elders, the elder statesmen 
of the Dynasty League community do not appreciate you. We know the listeners of this show appreciate you, right? Yeah, they have to. There's no way that they can't appreciate the fire that I come under every week and try and battle back against, you know, the the dragon that is Matt Kelly on here to provide awesome content for these people. I'd be surprised if there weren't crazy reviews about me on iTunes. I've got to be a part of that. We haven't talked about the iTunes reviews lately. Our iTunes reviews are strong. I was just looking at it yesterday. 284 five-star reviews. If you haven't reviewed the show on iTunes, please go to iTunes and review the show. Give us whatever you want. If you like the show, give us five stars. If you hate the show, give us one star. Just review the show on iTunes, please, everybody. So let's see what these fans of Nate Liss had to say on iTunes. I'm excited. Let's do it. Donnie Hamilton writes, you're killing it, Matt. I'm launching a fantasy football podcast in March, and I hope to be half as good as you, man. Hmm. I'm not much of an analytics guy, but you deliver it with extraordinary vigor and levity every time. So I signed up for Player Profiler a month ago, and it's my favorite tool. Keep up the great work, Matt. Hmm. So that was just one review. I'm sure the next one will mention you. That's nothing. Killer podcast for all types of fantasy football by Fish Drums, March 2nd. I have to admit that it took me a few episodes to get into the vibe of the show, but I'm definitely hooked now. Awesome info put in a way that's highly entertaining and engaging and makes you think. Matt doesn't want you to get the warm and fuzzy analysis. He wants you to get the truth, and sometimes it's straight fire with a side shot of Jeff Janis. It's worth your time. Okay, so it could be a coincidence. That's just two. It's fine. Let's go to the third. I'm sure in this next review, they will mention your excellence, Nate. Don't worry. Let's get into it. Let's read this one. Mr. Nice Guy FF writes, Undoubtedly the most entertaining and analytically driven Dynasty show available. New shows are always popping up, and yet Matt finds a way to maintain consistency. Great audio quality. The Sonic Truth Podcast. Always an easy choice. So nice. Mr. Nice Guy. Huh. So three in a row. Not not a mention. Let's go. The, let's just go the fourth. Whatever. Three in a row. We're getting a bit of a pattern starting here. Let's break it. Matt Kelly, a.k.a. the Podfather, has a distinct brand that may take some time to get used to. But once you understand his style and then it stems from an extreme passion, you won't be able to get enough. He doesn't waste time on filler discussions, yet somehow remains entertaining with each episode, many times 100% by himself. That, that's that's probably about one of your other podcasts. That that can't be about us. I'm, I'm assuming that most of these have been, or these people might think that we're the same voice. I don't know. I don't know what's going on right now. Let's go to another one. This is from Kid Kingdom. I listen to a ton of Dynasty podcasts. All day I'm consuming content. But your show is by far the best and most entertaining show I've found. The content is incredible, and I find myself agreeing with everything you're saying. And you're also charismatic, so it doesn't get mundane. I love it. Thanks for putting it out there for everyone, Matt and company. Okay, okay, okay. All right, hold on. Let's just, let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. So, they know Matt. Did I just get referred to as company? <laughs> so that's five, five iTunes reviews, and the fifth one... I'm keeping track here. I think three dynasty reviews at least. The fifth one calls me company as if there's more than two people that are doing this podcast. There's two guys. My name comes first when we do the intro, but I get called company. That's fine. That's, that's fine. I appreciate you kid kingdom or whatever your name is. 
Matt is killing it. Matt doesn't give the warm and fuzzy analysis. <laughs> All hail the pod father. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I love it when Matt gets excited. Matt, pod father. Matt, pod father. Matt, pod father. No mention of Nate whatsoever on iTunes. Except the vague reference to and company. Your and company. <laughs> Right? It feels like the Dave Matthews band. I don't understand. I'm on every episode, okay? <laughs> Jesus. You know, this is why we talked about this on season one. This is why I stopped looking at the iTunes reviews. Because number one, you got people with bad takes giving us one star. I know you said, hey, just rate us. Give us five stars. Give us one star. Look. We don't want one star. We we want more than that. We hope to we hope to be greater than that. But the real thing that pisses me off is that I'm on here all the time with Matt doing podcasts, just getting fucking rained on with fire from the sky, napalm, all episode, all episode, five reviews, and the only thing that even alludes to the fact that there might be another guy doing a podcast with Matt Kelly is an and company <laughs> jesus ah, ah, ah. this made my day man that was this is unbelievable a vague reference that alludes to your presence <laughs> this is so bitter right now and i don't even understand I, this is this is why i don't go to itunes okay this is the shit that i was talking about you told me to stay off of it. I don't know why we reopened this wound. We were supposed to leave iTunes alone. Why do we even go here? Why? It was my idea. It's my fault. I didn't realize that they were just going to render you one of the out-of-focus guys in the band. It's such a bad idea. We shouldn't have done this in the first place. That's going to set the tone for the rest of my day. And company. Are you kidding me? I could have swore a handful of these read Matt and Nate. But when I'm reading them again, it, it just says Matt. <laughs> hey, people, you might remember me from the line. And you can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. I'm your host, Nate Liss. Are you kidding me? I'm in the title. The first 19 seconds of the episode has my name. <laughs> Nothing. And company. That's great. That's great. I mean, you know what? I'm going to leave an iTunes review. I'm going to add one to that because I don't know if I have one on there yet. I'm going to drop my name. Best Dynasty Podcast by Brennan. This podcast provides great entertainment and unique Dynasty content. Here we go. No better Dynasty football podcast exists. I credit this podcast for winning multiple championships. Thanks, Matt! Exclamation point. I hope Brennan <laughs> eats a bad plate of Chinese food. Get stuck in traffic on the freeway. <laughs> oh, this is... Great. Thanks, Brennan. This is too good. This is like 21 right now. Hit me. Read another. I feel bad. There's no more. There's no more. There's some from last year, but these are the ones from this year, and, and you're not mentioned at all. And I feel bad that I opened this Pandora's box of highly complimentary content for myself that also seems to erase your presence from the history books. <laughs> It's so unbelievable. It's as if I was never there is really, really what pisses me off the most. I don't quite understand it myself. I'm here every week. No. 
Oh, it's there. Historians will have to dig. but They will wonder who is the and company that they're referring to in this one comment. Right? Doesn't that make it feel like it's more than two people? It's just... Thanks, Matt and his shadow. <laughs> Couldn't be bothered to distinguish whether or not there were more than one co-host. Just, just and company. That should take care of it. That'll suffice. That'll cover everyone, even though it's just one other guy, Nate Liss. <laughs> but I do feel bad. I feel bad. And I've known for many months that there was one individual in this industry that you wanted to talk to more than any other. His Twitter takes are a fire that even I am not capable of. He's okay drafting Joe Mixon because Adrian Peterson did something even worse. Adrian Peterson hit a child. Joe Mixon merely hit another adult. I'm paraphrasing, but that's a tweet from Fusu View. If he's thinking it, he will say it. If he has an opinion that is maximum contrarian, he has no problem putting it out there for the world to consume. He will bring it. And I love him for it. And Nate loves him for it. So for the first guest of 2017 on the Sonic Truth Podcast, we're bringing on Fusu View. Follow him at Life's Your Cup. We got a special guest tonight on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. A lot of people on Twitter, including the uh, big name analyst, are probably familiar with this guy. He's got some contrarian takes occasionally. He's called out some people occasionally, but he's also one of my favorite analysts on Twitter. You can find him on Twitter at Life's Your Cup. We got Fusu View on tonight. How's it going, man? How's it going, Nate? Thanks for going good, uh, man. Thanks for uh, welcoming me on the show. Yeah, man. Glad to have you on here. Nobody's nobody's ever seen him. Nobody's talked to him. This is the first time you've ever done a podcast, right? Or recorded yeah. anything? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. First time right on, on podcast. So- Nate, can you speak Night- up, by the way? I can barely hear you. Oh, are you talking into a now. sock? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, God, it begins. I knew, I knew there was going to be a problem. I might as well just let people know now. Hopefully this is resolved later. I am uh, going Skype via an iPhone 6 uh, using an iPhone set of headphones, uh, not the nice microphone that I normally use. So that's what Matt's implying. I hope to God this comes out clear. Anyways, back to what we are doing. So we've got Fusu on tonight, and I know a lot of people are going to want to listen to this because if they follow you on Twitter, like I said, you've always got the hot takes of the day. Matt has hot takes too. You've got some hot takes. No, 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 no. I do not have any hot takes. <laughs> My takes are lukewarm at best compared to Fusu's takes. Fusu's takes melt my face off. Fusu's takes are nuclear. Okay, if we're if we're putting them in an arsenal of weapons, I mean, I might have like a howitzer, you know, artillery shells, blowing <laughs> big holes in the ground. That's what I can do. Once he's done, the area is radioactive. <laughs> That's great. No, I mean, you honestly <laughs> don't want to be on the wrong side of a quoted tweet when it comes to Fusu. If you say something... That's ridiculous. Next thing you know, you've been quoted, and you just pray to God it isn't something trashing you. But I want to get into one of your hot takes right off the bat. Let's talk about Leonard Fournette. Oh, is he going to be? Is he going to make it, or is he going to break in the NFL? What's your take on Leonard Fournette? Is he going to make it? Um, I, as you know, um, I think there's, I think there's question on what kind of scheme he might fit, and. I think only I think certain teams. Let me stop you. Let me stop you, Nate. Can you stop clicking? <laughs> Why are you clicking so much? Who's doing all the clicking? 
All I can hear is clicking. Is that you, Nate? That is not me, bro. I don't know. I heard a bunch of clicking. All right, here's the deal. We mocked Fusu Vu on the show because he had Leonard Fournette outside his top 10. We did the math and figured out which <laughs> running backs had to be ahead of him in order to make that ranking make any sense. And we started listing the backs that he would have had to have ranked ahead of Leonard Fournette. And it started to really bend the suspension of disbelief around that particular take. So just walk us through your thoughts. I know that your analysis revolved around Leonard Fournette's success in I-formation versus non-I-formation. That seemed to be the crux of your argument. Talk to us about Leonard Fournette in the I-formation versus outside the I-formation. Much of his success in uh, at LSU has been mostly out of the I-formation. And when he had uh, his, starting, his starting fullback, J.D. Moore, at this, like the first half of t- 2015... Uh, J.D. Moore was mostly healthy, and after he went down, they, they had to plug in some of the backups at fullback. And I think they had some of the, a tight end playing fullback. And his production, uh, his yards per carry dipped a little bit. And someone was charting the Alabama and the, the Arkansas game in 2015, and Les Miles decided to uh, play mostly out of shotgun, and he, he Fournette wasn't doing pretty good out of shotgun. They figured out a way to... To stop him, just make him go from sideline to sideline, eliminate his downhill attributes. That's one of the my reasoning for uh, being low on Fournette. So, so let's lead, let's lead into that then. So, where do you see I mean, that translating? Okay, go ahead. I mean, I think ideally you want him to go to a team that whether it has a fullback or a running man blocking, you just you know basically just get him moving downhill. He needs runway. Yeah. He's a guy that needs runway. It's similar analysis to Derrick Henry last year. He needs to go to an offensive line that can create some wide running lanes, and he doesn't have to stop and start in the backfield. You put Leonard Fournette on the Vikings. You put Leonard Fournette on the Seahawks. It's going to be a disaster. He's not shifty enough in the backfield to weave his way around linebackers that have broken through the line of scrimmage and created havoc in the backfield. That's not his skill set. I can see Dalvin Cook being nifty in the backfield and finding daylight when, to the naked eye, no daylight exists. That's the great skill of Devontae Freeman. But that's not the skill of Leonard Fournette. That's why you don't draft Leonard Fournette. That's not why you draft Derrick Henry. These are dominant producers if they are paired with top 10 run-blocking offensive lines. Derrick Henry just happened to land on the perfect team for him Tennessee has one of the best, most efficient run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL, and they're only getting better. A lot of young offensive linemen on that team. So when you think about the teams around the NFL that have great run-blocking offensive lines and need a running back, maybe out west, maybe a team that might be changing locations soon. Is there a team, Fusu, where you would like to see Leonard Fournette, where if he lands on that team because... You believe that he has a skill set that lends itself to a power running game in the NFL. That must mean that he's also NFL draft dependent for you, that his draft stock or his ranking for you could vary wildly depending on where he lands. What if he lands in Oakland or Las Vegas? Uh, I think I think the Raiders, it's not a bad spot for them. Damn right it's not. They run a little bit of zone, but I mean, they were able to clear some space for Latavius. I think they were one of the better uh, yards before contact teams. 
They're going to have to trade up about 21 spots, though, to get him. And that was the question I wanted to ask you about Leonard Fournette. Is is part of your evaluation and your rank? So I think I looked at your new your new rankings, and I don't know if this is your <laughs> NFL position ranking. I'm, I'm not trying to make a jab, but I don't know if this is your NFL position ranking or dynasty ranking, but it looks like you've got Fournette around running back eight or nine right now. Oh, he changed his mind. We've got to <laughs> shift his viewpoint a little bit. He softened on Leonard Fournette. Actually, I know what happened. The other running backs around Leonard Fournette fell by the wayside because they tested at the combine, and most of them failed miserably. It was just, it wasn't the NFL scouting combine. It was the NFL scouting face plant. <laughs> well, dude, okay, so here's the thing. I mean, is part of your evaluation the fact that since you think that Leonard Fournette's future success is so scheme dependent that you're not ranking him as high because the players you have in front of him are players that you feel like will succeed in pretty much any type of scheme where Leonard Fournette has incredible physical attributes, but the risk that a team is going to take is that they may have to change their entire running scheme to fit it to what will make him successful if he doesn't go to a team that already has, like you said, a man blocking or runs a, an eye formation in front of him. That's definitely the premise. Uh, I have I have a few of more of the, uh, the pass-catching type receiving backs in front of him, and I've got uh, I've got... I've got P Ryan rated around him because I think I think P Ryan's got pretty good power. He doesn't have the it doesn't have the breakaway, but I think on a play per, to play basis, he's probably more consistent power. Who would you rather try to tackle, Fusu? You have to survive one <laughs> NFL play. This is for your life. You tackle one of these running backs and you live. If they break the tackle and score a touchdown on you, you die. <laughs> Who would you rather try to tackle? Leonard Fournette or Samaj P. Ryan? Because I'm picking Fournette. It's a hard choice. <laughs> I think I think P. I think P. Ryan's power is underrated. That's not how this show works. This show is about takes. Pretend this is Twitter. Pretend this is a show version of Twitter, a podcast version of Twitter. You come hot with your takes. You need an opinion. You need to be strident with your opinion. You can't just state Leonard Fournette. You have to state Leonard Fournette with some conviction. I think Pierre's one of the more powerful guys in his class. So, I mean, I'm choosing Pierre. I think he has he has power anywhere on the field, behind the line of scrimmage, around the line of scrimmage, open field. I think for I think Fournette's more he, he still needs that runway. Right, he needs to glide forward a couple of yards before he can get going. I like that take also. Samaje Pirine could have more success on a team with a poor run-blocking offensive line. You can see him nimbly finding his way around plays that have broken down and making something out of nothing more than you can see it from Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette, you can see getting the most out of it, maximizing the holes that have been open for him, exploiting the defense to the greatest degree. That's Leonard Fournette's great skill, just like Derrick Henry. But with Samaj P. Ryan, you can see him grinding out those extra yards on a team that is not a great run-blocking team to begin with. So, for example, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they already have Charles Sims. They don't need a pass catcher anyway. They may be better off with a Pirine than a Fournette. I don't think a team in the NFL wants to invest the capital necessarily into a guy, like you were saying, Fusu, into a guy that isn't necessarily a pass catcher or doesn't necessarily have the ability to become one in the future. I mean, if, if Fournette is going to get drafted where people are expecting him to be drafted, the, the big... You know, the big analysts are saying he's top 10. He's, you know, top six, top eight. I'm serious. You see it <laughs> all the time, right? Matt Miller has him as his number one running back. I think he's got him mocked at like <laughs> Who? number six or seven. Who? <laughs> Matt Miller. 
Fusu, what do you think of Matt Miller? Public enemy, number one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> nice and succinct. Looking at Leonard Fournette catching passes out of the backfield, what did you think of his dynamism in space, his pass-catching chops? I think he's probably had average hands. I didn't, I didn't think he was that natural. I mean, he might be able to catch some swing passes, some screens, but I'm, I'm not sure about running actual routes the way, you know, such as someone like McCaffrey can do. I mean, I think he, he might be capable. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's going to be that's going to be a strength where he's going to be like a, a Le'Veon Bell where, you know, they're going to they're going to have a game plan for him as a pass catcher. You know, he might just be there on you know, on third downs and catch some check downs or Let's go back to that parallel one second. Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette, who you got? You're starting a franchise today. Derrick Henry, Leonard Fournette. Who you got? Uh, I'm going with Henry. Henry, Henry's been my guy. Henry has burst. All else being equal, I'd rather have the guy that has great burst. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's got much better movement skill as well. I mean, I think a lot. A lot of people said he was stiff, but I think. Um, I think he's got pretty good hips, pretty good feet, and his receiving production wasn't. He didn't have great volume, but he was he was pretty explosive on on his his few chances and yeah yeah I think he was underused in college. I think I mean as a rookie he was pretty he was pretty good on his reception. He made some guys miss in the open field. He was, he showed shiftiness. I think he's more definitely a lot more dynamic than Fournette. I mean he just he's just a much better athlete overall. Bird yeah the bird the broad and. His speed's his speed's not that bad. It's pretty good. They had the same speed score as well. I think it was uh, 116 speed score. That's right. If you took the exercise we were doing before where we were tackling a player or dying, <laughs> if we added Derrick Henry to that exercise, my new rankings would be tackle Fournette first, then Pirine, and last would be Derrick Henry. I want no part of Derrick Henry. If I had to tackle Derrick Henry or die, I would be dead. <laughs> so your number one back in the class, Dalvin Cook, we compared him earlier to Devontae Freeman. Is that a fair comparison? But I actually think stylistically they look similar. Yeah, I mean, he's got some same kind of shiftiness, the quick feet, the cutting, you know. But, I mean, I think Cook is going to be more explosive. I think he's just he's just faster in, in a straight line, even getting to the edge. And his breakaway speed is just much better than... Freeman, I think Freeman's a little bit of a, a plotter. I know some. I think some some people will disagree with me on Twitter, but <laughs> that's just it's what he is. He's, he's just a plotter. I mean, Dalvin Cook is explosive. Devonte Freeman. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. So, were you surprised then by Dalvin Cook's three cone? Was that something that that caught you off guard when you saw his final score, or was that something yeah. that you saw on tape? No, it, it definitely surprised me. I mean, I just I was I was I'm very curious on the why he put up such bad numbers i mean it's not i mean it's not i think people are just overanalyzing it. i'm not i'm not too worried i mean perhaps he didn't he didn't put in the work to train for it or he just you know he just didn't care or or whatnot I did mean, you watch the did you watch the replay of his three cone uh no i didn't i was i didn't catch it i don't think there's um the three cone usually they don't have a they don't have a video available so i didn't yeah i haven't had the chance to look it over 
Because I was going to ask you, because I know there's times you go back and you look at stuff and, you, you know, you've said there was an error in someone's formation or something that uh, gave them a hiccup in their score or something like that. Because, yeah. you know, it, it does seem um, odd his, his agility score versus what we see when we watch him in game film. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the three cones in the shuttles, the, the NFL.com, they usually don't provide a video of it publicly. So it's it's just kind of hard to double check those those things. I mean, the 40s, it's easy to double check, but the three cone and all those other tests, they don't really make the, the video easily available. Did John Ross really break the record? Yeah. I, yeah, I got him. I got him at 423. So they have him officially at 422. So, I mean, it's legit. It's legit, man. That's legit. Should I draft <laughs> him in my dynasty league or is he just a speed guy? Is he a field stretcher? Or does he have ball skills as well? Uh, ball skills? I mean, he has some, but I wouldn't say he's a contested catch guy. I think my comparison for him was um, San Santonio Holmes. And now Holmes wasn't as fast, but he's, I think Holmes was like a four three six at his pro day. They're, they're about the same size. I think about 188, 186. John Ross, he's just kind of another level in that speed, and he's probably going to be that guy in this class that put himself in the first round because that yeah. that quick deep threat I mean, I, every year. There's always that guy, right? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of a lot of people already knew he was at worst a four three guy. So I mean, I'm not sure the combine really raised him for most people because because if you if you watch him, you know you knew he was. Gonna be one of the fastest guys in the country, so, so I, I don't means, think I think the four two two is just gonna cause him to might maybe be overrated because you know people are, might think well he runs a four two two and some other guy runs a four four three or four four. So I mean I'm gonna take Ross over the other guy because he's like a tenth or two tenths faster. But I I think on the field I don't think he's significantly faster than another guy that runs a four three because I mean he's not gonna be running a go route. On every play, every pass play, right? He's going to have to, like, make a cut, make a break. Yeah, the great comparison is D.D. Westbrook. He's not that much better than D.D. Westbrook, but he'll get drafted rounds ahead of D.D. Westbrook, and that won't be justified. Yeah, I mean, of course, D.D. unfortunately has uh, some off-field issues, so that's going probably going to cause him to fall. What's up with Oklahoma and off-the-field issues? What's happening in Oklahoma? I think it's it starts with the head coach, uh, Bob Stoops. I mean, that's where it starts. That's, that's where it's got to start. <laughs> I mean, well, putting that off to the side for a moment, looking at D.D. Westbrook's teammate, Joe Mixon, because you're a running back savant. That's your position of choice. That's where I think your analysis rings the most true at the running back position. Does Joe Mixon have the best chance to be a generational running back talent, assuming he doesn't miss games because of off-the-field behavioral issues? Yeah, I think so, definitely. <laughs> he's, uh, he's probably, he's probably the, the best receiving back in this class. And what? He's, what, 228? You think he's better than McCaffrey? Potential to be better. He, <laughs> yeah, baby. He, doesn't have, he hasn't had an opportunity to run... Uh, the same type of like routes, but don't you think that's 
going to work against him, though, not having that experience where McCaffrey's been running those routes and you've seen him in drills and you've seen him in games. He, he's so efficient in his route running and so diverse in the things that he can do. I love Mixon, but he's going to have to play yeah. some catch-up in that part of the field. What? Whoa, 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 ho, 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 ho. No, 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 no. <laughs> Look, let me handle this one. How many receptions did Joe Mixon log last year? Splitting snaps with Samaj P. Ryan. How many, Nate? The thirty-seven, and that's based on thirty-seven receptions while splitting snaps. This is why I believe Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon are both underrated because if you put them on teams that do not have another premium running back talent, then they dominate the touches and they're hugely productive. Either one goes to Florida State and you send Dalvin Cook to Oklahoma, Pirine or Mixon dominate at Florida State. You send either of those backs to Clemson, they dominate at Clemson. We need to use our imaginations when thinking about Pirine and Mixon and imagine them in a backfield by themselves and what kind of damage they could do. Mixon should have caught 50 passes. He could have been a 2,000-yard back. I don't think anybody's disputing what he was capable of doing. The point that I'm trying to make is, regardless of his usage or the numbers you're trying to bring up, he's not better at receiving, and he's not better at running routes, and he's not more diverse in his route tree than McCaffrey is. And that's the point I'm making. But he's not raw either. You were making him sound like he just learned how to catch yesterday. Like, here's a jugs machine, Joe Mixon. Practice. It takes time. You got to do it to both sides of the field, correct? So it's it's different. It's different usages. It's different ways to get used to going one way or the other. Steps, movement. Okay. Thanks, coach. Thank thank you, coach. Thank you very much. I'm just telling you that's part of the reason. So if you're gonna act like Joe Mixon is not different from McCaffrey, there's a difference. I didn't say they're not different. I said that he's a great receiver already. He doesn't need to learn the position from scratch, which is what you were implying. He's not as diverse. Talking about Christian McCaffrey, you compared Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel on Twitter, and you mentioned that Curtis Samuel, if he played running back, would be a better player than Christian McCaffrey. That seems far-fetched. Defend your take, Fusu. I think he could be just as good or better than McCaffrey because I think he's... He's faster. He's more explosive. He just he just didn't get the opportunity to be a feature back at Ohio State because their their running backs they're pretty they're pretty deep and Mike Weber was pretty good pure running back. So and I, I think he's just as dynamic. He's not obviously he's not as polished, but they use him in a slot as well. And he was able to put on put some moves on defenders and get open and run after the catch with that four uh, three speed that the, the his forty speed surprised me. I didn't think it was that fast. Oh, I God. thought maybe a four. Thought maybe a four four, but wow, four three one. That's four three one. That's blistering. That cop. Yeah. By the way, Nate, that take you wanted to make about Joe Mixon being a raw route runner, you can use it now with Curtis Samuel if you'd like. You can copy and paste your take from earlier into the correct running back where it belongs, Curtis Samuel. Well, if you're only looking at the numbers, I can understand why we would say that Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey have similar abilities as receivers. However, Curtis Samuel, like you just said, yeah, he plays all over the field. He's a super talented guy. The take about him being a better running back prospect than Christian McCaffrey, I don't know about that. Maybe as a receiver, he can hang with him a little bit in the chops and diversity of the position. But his usage wasn't nearly what McCaffrey's was and over the period of time that McCaffrey did it. 
And so when I saw that take, that was definitely that got an emoji, a fire emoji. That was a <laughs> that was a hot take. But it makes you think, nonetheless, whether or not you agree with it. It makes you think. It makes you go back and look at Curtis Samuel, and again, use your imagination. What would Curtis Samuel have been on another offense without so many dynamic playmakers that needed touches? You put Curtis Samuel on Arizona State. He's going to dominate the touches. He's going to be the focal point of the offense, and his whole perception could be different. I'm also fascinated by his choice to play wide receiver instead of running back because I think this is a fork in the road. He could go either way. If he goes the wide receiver route, his profile is very similar to Randall Cobb's. You could see him being a Randall Cobb if he gets tethered to an efficient quarterback at the NFL level. I don't want him tethered to a bad quarterback. I think he will die on the vine if he goes to a team with bad quarterback play. So I'd love to see him go to a team like the New Orleans Saints, where they could put him in a hybrid role and it would just be dynamite. But his future, if I had to guess, Ty Montgomery, where he plays wide receiver in year one and the team decides to convert him to running back in year two, as a running back, I'd be very excited to see what Curtis Samuel could do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. People, Some people are projecting him to be a wide receiver, but I think, I think uh, he has a lot more upside, at least fantasy-wise, as a running back and even on the field in real games, if he... Like he lines up at running back, and then he he could split in the slot, move him around. I think he's more of a threat than just being a pure wide receiver and running some gimmick run plays. You know, I mean, my my comparison for him was uh, a more ex, more explosive Theo Riddick, who who kind of flip flop between running back and wide receiver in at Notre Dame. Love it. Love that comparison. Yeah, last year he was they they were using him as a running back. That's his official position, and he just he caught a lot of a lot of passes. So that's yeah, that's kind of my projection for Curtis Samuel. How do you think Curtis Samuel would be in an offense that didn't use much like read option? How do you think he would be as just a you know standalone running back? Is that where you view him, or do you think he needs to be tethered to a mobile quarterback? I think there might there's going to be questions about his his pure running ability. Running out of running out of a traditional run plays, I think that's something he's probably gonna have to work on, learn the finer points, and polish up his game as compared to uh, someone like McCaffrey, who's pretty good pure running back already. That's kind of the difference that yeah. I saw when I watched Samuel, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I, seeing him in the read option, all of a sudden the way that you look at, like say Fournette with that fullback in front of him, you start to think, okay. Did- they have to be in a situation like this. Have they trained themselves to be the most successful in a situation like this? And I guess then go to Matt's point where, okay, we got to kind of project, think outside the box, dream. What what could he be not in that? You you watched him this year at Ohio State and sort of that type of usage. So I guess that's why I asked that question because he isn't quite as traditionally nuanced as Christian McCaffrey is as a runner, but he's as dynamic. When you put it in the context of Dynasty Leagues and the Dynasty rookie drafts that are coming up, I love Curtis Samuel in the second round. Because by the time you get to the second round, most second round picks in Dynasty rookie drafts bust. The hit rate is much lower in the second round than it is the first round. And it's marginally lower in the third round and then marginally lower in the fourth round. But there is a significant drop from the first round hit rate to the second round hit rate. That's why I love betting on a Curtis Samuel. This is a guy with incredible upside. He's got Randall Cobb level upside as a wide receiver and more explosive Theo Riddick upside as a running back. 
You want to chase the athleticism, chase the explosive playmakers in the second round. It's perfect because on Ohio State, his production profile was suppressed. So this is the perfect talent to chase in the second round of a dynasty rookie draft if you can't get Jeremy McNichols because Jeremy McNichols is the other guy in this draft class. He looks a lot like a receiver, but he's also a successful running back. He could play either position at the next level. When you watch McNichols, it looks like a wide receiver playing running back. And I felt the same way about CJ Procise last year. Do you like McNichols, Fusu? Yeah, I'm a big fan of McNichols. Uh, he, yes. Woohoo! Woo, woo! Yeah, he was <laughs> actually recruited as a wide receiver, so that's... Shut your mouth. Yeah. Was he really? I didn't know that. We did not go over that before the show. Yeah, okay, he was... That- he were, yeah, he originally came into Boise State as a wide receiver. No I think shit. I'm not I'm not sure if he even played running back in high school. I think I think he only started playing running back at Boise State. I like his running ability. He's got pretty good strength. I think there's there's questions about his vision and his cutting ability. I think he tends to take a lot of runs wide, but you know, JHI had the same tendency and JHI, you know, learned to improve on his vision and uh in the zone scheme in Miami, so, I mean... McNichols' vision is awful, though. On the second level, yeah, McNichols does not <laughs> oh, see God. those diagonal vectors on the second level. He runs right into safeties whenever given the opportunity. I love you, McNichols. <laughs> this, is, this is probably a good time uh, to give you a plug, Fusu. For people that don't really know about you, you're, you're probably one of the better Devi uh, experts, I would say. You, you look at a lot of freshmen or incoming players into college, right, and You've got a lot of takes on those guys. So knowing this kind of thing about McNichols, that reminded me of that because you're always tweeting about, you know, freshmen, sophomores, young guys that a lot of us really aren't on yet. And you're kind of one of the first people that's really catching on to them and staking your flag. Yeah. Um, Was that a question, Nate? The question is, do you have a freshman who you're most excited about drafting in Devi Leagues? A uh, freshman? Uh, yeah, give me that freshman that you were eager to watch last fall. He's going to be a sophomore now. I mean, my top my top running back was uh, Elijah Holyfield at Georgia. He's good then? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. I like him. Yeah, I like I like his name. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. Sounds powerful. Evander's son, in case you guys are Is he really? Aware. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Did you know that, Nate? No, that's what I'm saying. This guy, he's got so much knowledge about these. What did you like about Holyfield when you watched him? I think he's just the total package. His, his strength, his power, cutting ability, speed, quickness. He just had it all. And he, yeah, he just had it all. He ran He ran track, too. I think he ran like a, a 10-7 or 10-6. So that's like with track time, that translates to like 4-5, four, four at least at worst 4-5 or five speed. So it's it's legit. Maybe. Unfortunately, um, he got he not he got nicked up fall camp, and so he was, he was kind of behind the eight ball. And the other the other fresh incoming freshman got more carries. He only got thirteen carries all year, so it's basically a red shirt for him. And Chubb and Michelle, they're both I guess the coaches they trust those two guys to just be the lead dogs. So they both came back for their senior year. So unfortunately, we probably we might never see him this year. <laughs> Under the radar. We love the under the radar guys. Reminds me of Guise. Is it Geis or Juice? Geis. Geis. So bad with these names. It reminds me of Geis, Guise, Juice on LSU. So talk to me about 
Ishmael Zamora. Because Ishmael Zamora is a guy you have ranked well ahead of the other running backs and well ahead of consensus. What do you see in Ishmael Zamora? Well, first off, give him your rank at wide receiver. Wait, is Ishmael Zamora a wide receiver? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know who this is. Who is Ishmael Zamora? He was not invited to the combine because he had an incident on Snapchat where he was disciplining his dog and people took it as Tim abusing an animal and he had to go to court. He was suspended three games from Baylor, correct? And then he went to court and he was charged with a Class C misdemeanor and cited $500 for disciplining this dog. And that's part of the reason that he was not invited to the combine or the actual reason. So with that being said, I'd seen your rankings and I saw your take on Ishmael Zamora. So where do you have him as a wide receiver in this class? I've got him as my number two wide receiver. What? Number two. Number two wide receiver. I think in terms of upside and pure talent, I think he's as good as Corey Davis. And I think he's better than Mike Williams. He's basically so what you- everything Mike Williams is and much more athletic. Okay, he's a physical guy. And I've used this name before, so I hate to bring it up again. But to me, when I see him, and correct me if I'm wrong, does he have a little a little Julio Jones-ish-ness to him where he, he seems so much bigger than everybody else? He, he seems like he's a man amongst boys when I watch him play. Is that, I mean, do you feel that way about him, or do you see him as more of like a dynamic playmaker right now at, at, in his second season? More of a dynamic playmaker than Julio Jones? Well, he's got a red shirt here, and he only had limited production this year. So 63 catches this year. I mean, who do you comp him to, I guess, would be my question. I think it's it wouldn't be a bad idea to comp him to Josh, Josh Gordon, another okay. former Baylor guy. Yeah, he kind of has this, this, this fluidness, this smoothness to him, especially when he has the ball in his hand. He just It's like it's just instant acceleration after the catch. Yeah, he's got similar body control in the way he catches the ball. It just kind of... His hands are just kind of soft. He doesn't really fight the ball. He catches he catches the ball away from his body. I mean, I I think he's listed at six four two twenty, but he does he does look a little shorter. I think he might come in measuring it at six two because he doesn't really he's not really towering over those Big Twelve DBs, which are probably what five nine five ten. But I think I think he's still at, even at six two. He's still very physical and quick off the line. And he could still he still has a pretty a great catch radius. He could still high high point the ball. And I think I think the the thing separating him and Mike Williams that I think he's much he's he's better at transitioning from a catch to run after the catch when high pointing. He's definitely more athletic, at least faster. I think he could jump jump higher, jump farther than a Mike Williams. Even though he's not, he's probably Mike Williams probably has two inches on him. But I think he's going to test pretty good at the Baylor Pro Day. And I think. That, that makes up for it. And so that Baylor Pro Day oh is going to be on April 5th. And Is this guy for real? Eight catches, 175 yards, and two touchdowns against Oklahoma State? 12 catches for 155 yards and a touchdown against Texas Tech? Who the hell is this guy? I think he just saw, uh, well, there's a, there was a coaching change at Baylor. Yeah, our Bryles was escorted to hell by Satan himself. <laughs> That's good. So this guy's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, well, this is what I, makes this special. I started the train on this guy. No, I'm jumping on this train. I'm happy to be one of the other boxcars at this point. I don't need to be the engine on this one. So, okay, we're going into our dynasty drafts. Obviously, he's got the the criminal offense that's going to be held against him. He came from Baylor, which does produce, you know, say video game numbers and criminals. 
So you're really high on this guy. He's going to be a steal if he produces the way you expect him to. I mean, where do you think a guy like this goes in dynasty drafts? Is is, is he going to be drafted, or where do you have a grade on him? Is he sixth round, fifth round because of the misdemeanor? He might be a he might be a day three guy in the NFL draft. I mean, he's not. It's not like he's a running back. If he was a running back, he'd probably be undrafted. But I think some team some team's probably going to take a chance on him. I would take a chance on him. My God. So you like him better than Mike Williams. Does he also have the Mike Williams wow factor plays, the diving catches that make people drool and overrate wide receivers? He can do all that, and I think he can do more. He's a lot more dangerous with the ball in his hands than Mike Williams. So did you see Mike Williams' pro day, 4-5-1? What did you think of the Mike Williams pro day? Does that help to ally any concerns you might have had about his speed? Or is he what you thought he was? Yeah, I was able to um, catch some of his 40s and look over his 40s. And my uh, my measurements, I had him at 4, 5, 7. So, yep. I mean, I think I think some of the some of the stopwatch times were around there, too. So, um, I think it's what I expected for him to run. He's not, I mean, he doesn't have great speed, but I don't think he's... I don't think he's too slow either. I think he's gonna he's definitely gonna have to make his living basically kinda doing the same thing he did in college. If people are questioning if he can separate, get open. Raising my hand. Raising my hand. Is he the next Laquan Treadwell or is he better than Treadwell? Yeah. Tread. I think he's better than Tread. He's a little bit better than Treadwell. I think he'll play a lot more in his rookie year than Treadwell did. But the Mike Williams phenomenon really does demonstrate how the resonance of these wow factor catches are the greatest single source of bad wide receiver analysis and draft grades. I mean, Mike Williams does not belong in the first round. Get out of here. But it's a handful of catches that made people with DVRs go rewind. (laughs) Rewind again, rewind again. Did you see that? Wow, did you see that? It's not about the one or two wow factor plays. Aaron Dobson had wow factor plays on his Marshall resume. And it's about repeating athletic feats over and over again consistently. That's how you put up monster numbers that will translate to the NFL. That's not exactly what Mike Williams did because his game log is very, very, very inconsistent. It reminded me of this Ishmael Zamora game log. Very inconsistent. But one guy's going to get drafted in the first round. One guy's going to get drafted in the sixth round. I don't know that Mike Williams isn't a first round wide receiver, but I don't also, I'm not really sure where I would put Mike Williams amongst the last. There's only one first round wide receiver in this entire draft class, and it's Corey Davis. It's not John Ross. Neither was it Will Fuller. Will Fuller didn't belong in the first round any more than John Ross belongs in the first round. And Laquan Treadwell didn't belong in the first round any more than Mike Williams belongs in the first round. It's not my fault that NFL scouts and general managers don't know what the fuck they're doing, Nate. (laughs) It's not my fault they keep drafting bad receivers in the first round. There's one first-round graded wide receiver in this class, according to Matt Kelly. His name is Corey Davis. The only other player I'm considering at this point is Ishmael Zamora. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyways, if you look at even what Matt Harmon did on his reception perception stuff, Mike Williams was a lot more successful in his routes and his ability versus man coverage and versus 
you know, double coverage and stuff like that. He he was a lot better than even I expected because I try to watch as much of Mike Williams as you possibly can. But if you don't catch live games, oftentimes it's hard to ever catch a game at all if it's not one that ends up on draft breakdown or something like that. He's not a first-round pick. Mike Williams, especially in terms of this class, not is all. a definite first-round pick. That's absolutely ridiculous. But I want to I wanna bring this quote up from Charles Robinson on Twitter because I kind of thought it was – funny to see because i don't have him as the number one but he said mike williams legitimately ran his pro day 40 in the four five six four five nine range <laughs> likely cementing himself as the top wide receiver on most boards he basically accepted the fact that he ran <laughs> nearly a four six and then called him the best receiver in the class so that's how he's being perceived it's confirmation bias they're perceiving what they want to perceive in order to confirm their biases that were originally based on a single wow factor catch that they saw against Miami. I think Mike Williams is a lot better than maybe you're giving him credit for, but that's fair. Everybody deserves a take. What I'm saying is he's Devin Funchess. Woo! He's not Amari Cooper. How hard is that <laughs> to understand? Are you deliberately tr- trying to attack all of Fusu's favorite players <laughs> right now? I feel like you've stuck a dagger in at least four of his favorite guys tonight. Mike Williams is wearing a shell necklace in his official headshot. He's wearing a shell necklace, Nate. I would never draft a player wearing a shell necklace in a headshot if I were an NFL GM. That would be my first rule. He needs to get a better stylist. Let's move on to a, a more interesting topic for now. Probably the most athletic and perhaps one of the, the more positional changing groups that's going to come in to this draft class. Um, Nate, there's a buzzard message here, and it's sponsored by Local. Look at the show sheet. You're the guy that does the local live reads. Remember, Local sponsored our buzzard messages. That's why we have a buzzard message in every show. We did that last week. I guess we'll do it this week. All right. What do you mean, I guess we'll do it this week? This is your job. We establish what your role is and what your job is. Unless you hear from me, it's not going to change. My job is to keep Mike Williams in the first round. It's all going in the outtakes. People need to know how incompetent you are and how completely oblivious to your responsibilities you continue to be every single week. I mean, every week I come in thinking, you know, this might be the week that Nate really turns the corner, really figures the show out really understands attention to detail for the first time and executes everything flawlessly. This is that week. I can feel it. I always feel it. And then, no. I can't be incompetent if you're the one kicking Mike Williams out of the first round. Let's get to this buzzard email already. We got a buzzard email sponsored by Local. Uh, It's the app that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks. You should get it for your dynasty leagues or any league that you're in where you're making trades or trying to make deals in season. You can kind of funnel everything into one spot so you don't have to go to those text messages and DMs and everything else. It's L-O-K-L, and you can find it in the Android or the iPhone Apple Store. What is local? Explain what it is, though. Uh, Local is an app that... It's a collaboration app. Go on. That is taking the world by storm. Yeah, it's replacing other collaboration apps like Voxer. It's the new, new thing for communicating with your league mates in mass to discuss the happenings in the draft room or to have one-way conversations, trade talks with your league mates. Local is amazing. I have local. I have it set up with all the Roto Underworld leagues. We have three listener leagues at the moment. All three of them have a local app running, and there are discussions happening in all three leagues on the app right now. Everybody loves it. 
All right. With that being said, let's uh, let's turn to the tight end class. Was that a cat? What was that? So this tight end class is loaded, right? So who's the premier guy to own in Dynasty? Some people will say Howard, but a lot of people like Howard because he's been like the front runner for quite a while now. But you know, Joku was a redshirt sophomore, so he he was kind of under the radar because you know he was kind of a surprise declaration since he's a redshirt sophomore. So I think he hasn't been he hasn't been buzzing all year long, and Howard has been since, and he plays for Alabama too. So <laughs> he's got national yes. exposure. And Joku, yeah, Joku plays for a Miami team that's hasn't been that great the last few years. So I mean, I think I think personally for me, Joku's Joku's my guy. I think he's just a phenomenal athlete. He's one of those he's one of those guys that I've been following since he was a freshman. Since I played you know, in Devi leagues, I drafted him in a few leagues. I've been well aware of his athletic profile. He was a high jumper in high school. He jumped like he jumped like seven one at two hundred thirty pounds. And by so by comparison, Justin Hunter jumped six six eleven or seven feet, and Justin Hunter was like one eighty or one ninety in college. So yeah, that's pretty impressive. I think I just think Joku's just a, a better athlete overall. But I think there's probably questions about his hands. His drop rate, according to PFF, the drop rate was like thirteen percent. I think fantasy and metrics guys probably like Joku better than Howard. Howard, I think Howard's production kind of has the same questions as Mike Williams does. And he's like, he's two years older than Joku too. But yeah, I mean, Howard, Howard's a much better blocker, so mm-hmm. he's, that's going to get him on the field. But in a way, it, it might hinder his production because since he's such a good blocker, maybe they'll want him blocking a lot. That's a fallacy. You want to be on the field at the tight end position. What you don't want as a young tight end is to be relegated and be pushed off the field. If you can get on the field, even in a blocking capacity, you can be that guy that leaks into the end zone on a bootleg and gets that wide open touchdown. That's what you want as a young tight end. Get some touchdowns to bolster your resume early on in your career. That's what you want. David Njoku is no joke. I just made that up. I love (laughs) David Njoku. Why? Because he's young. It's what we like. We like these precocious talents we like david and joku we like bucky hodges jinjoku's 20 he's 20 he's not 21 hodges is 21 (laughs) howard's 22 howard's the guy we know howard's the guy with brand equity what do we like to do we like to discount the brand equity discount the recency bias discount the players participating in the high profile events like national championship games with the national exposure you want to discount those things when you think about discounting all those factors that suppresses oj howard's dynasty rank among these tight ends in this rookie class i still have oj howard number one because i believe nfl teams will install him as a starter very early on in the process but i also love njoku it's very close for me between Howard and Njoku, because Howard's also a phenomenal athlete. Howard was also a producer on one of these high-profile, high-octane offenses that is replete with weapons. We talked about this with Curtis Samuel in Ohio State. The same is true with O.J. Howard in Alabama. Lots of weapons on offense for Alabama, so his dominator's not going to be as high as Njoku's. So you have to like Howard and Njoku. You have to like this entire class. When you zoom out and you look at this entire class, it looks a lot like the 2014 wide receiver class. 
the 2014 wide receiver class resuscitated the entire position. This class is revitalizing a tight end position in fantasy football that was an apocalypse last year. I mean, these tight ends are coming at the perfect time. Look at the back end of the tight end ones last year. Look at tight ends 6 through 12 in fantasy football. Never seen tight ends that unproductive. Here comes a class that doesn't just feature O.J. Howard, doesn't just feature Njoku and Hodges. It's got Evan Ingram, who may or may not be a tight end or could be a wide receiver. But then when you look down the class and you start to go down the list, all these tight ends are impressive from 1 to 10. Which of those non-top four, top five tight ends, the sleeper, intrigues you the most? As far as tight ends go, I, it's a position that I usually, I really don't, I usually don't pay attention too much. Especially when, when it comes to rookies, they really don't do much earlier in the careers. I think. They- all right, all right. Well, let's talk about the top guys then. Let's talk about the top guys. Even though this was on the show sheet, we talked about this before the show. You should have been prepared, Fusu. You want your running backs prepared to play on Saturdays <laughs> and Sundays, don't you? Well, as a podcast guest, you need to be prepared for these questions. So one of the other reasons I like Njoku is because when you watch him, He looked like a man among boys. It's hard to quantify. It's impossible to quantify that trait in a player. But there are just some players where you watch them and you think, oh, oh, okay, okay. He's 19 years old, but he looks like a full-grown man playing with high school students. That's what it looked like when you watched David Njoku play for Miami last year. And at age 20, I think that he is the guy I want to target, stash, and put on my taxi squad in Dynasty. Absolutely. But also Bucky Hodges, because he's right there. The gap between Howard, Njoku, and Hodges is, is almost non-existent because Hodges is also very young. He's also incredibly athletic. 115.9, 70th percentile Spark X score across the board. 457 at 66257. That's a 120.3, 95th percentile height adjusted speed score. We're in Vernon Davis size speed territory here. What do you think about Bucky Hodges? Bucky, he doesn't really have much experience playing in line and blocking. I think last last year they had him exclusively playing receiver so i think it's it's gonna be hard for him to get on the field early on in his career his i think his his production is pretty good and he he broke out at a pretty young age as a redshirt sophomore so it was people were uh people were excited about him when he was a redshirt sophomore but he's i think this year they've kind of forgotten about him He's kind of taking a back seat to Isaiah Ford. And among the tight ends, he's taken a back seat. He's been outshined by O.J. Howard and by David Njoku, and that's why it's a terrific buying opportunity where you could get Bucky Hodges in the fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft. That's amazing value. That's the guy I want in the fourth round is Bucky Hodges. If I can't get Ishmael, uh, whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah, I think Bucky has a lot. A lot of upside. My my comparison for him is uh, Ladarius Green. Yeah, he was Ladarius was pretty athletic. Yeah, you think? But he was kind of yeah. He's but he was kind of stuck behind Antonio Gates. 
What do you think about Evan Ingram? Tight end, wide receiver. Either way, does he have a future in the NFL? And is Nate still with us? I'm letting you guys have your takes. I'm shaking my head in disagreement with all of them, but I'm letting you guys have them nonetheless. I think I think Ingram can be a really good wide receiver. His talent's going to be wasted at tight end, having a block. I mean, he ran a 4-4 something at 235. I mean, he's fast. He's as fast as or faster than a lot of wide receivers that weigh less than him. So why wouldn't you want to just put him at wide receiver? You know, don't. I think team teams are just going to be trying to be cute putting him at tight end. It's like just make this guy a wide receiver. Use him as a wide receiver. Whatever. I mean, if he's designated as a tight end, that's just going to raise his fantasy stock. Yeah, we do not want Evan Ingram to become Doran Dickerson. The tweener prototype in the NFL has a very, very low hit rate. We do not want a tweener tight end. There are only so many Jordan Reeds that actually produce in the NFL. Very, very few. You're much more likely to have a Doran Dickerson than you are a Jordan Reed. But if we get a size speed specimen at the wide receiver position, it is a higher likelihood of hitting. He played out of the backfield a ton. I don't know, Fusa, when you watched him, I'm, I'm sure it became apparent, but they used him in that H-back role in the backfield so often. And I don't know that I felt like he was necessarily a, a dominant run blocker. I, I felt like when I watched him, he was good at redirecting an offender and, and opening up a running lane, but he would be so much better as just a big slot receiver. And if they're going to leave him at tight end, he's got to play that sort of Aaron Hernandez role, you know, where they're, they can use him as that that move tight end, but like Matt said, he's he is that tweener. He's too skinny and, and not really built enough to block defenders coming off the edge like they used him in college. So in the NFL, that's that's exactly what I think. If if they try and make him work as a tight end, I don't think he's gonna be a success. If if they swing him outside as as a big slot receiver, there's a lot more opportunity for him to have an immediate impact because he's a good athlete and he does have some downfield blocking skills. I didn't love him out of the backfield as a blocker, personally. He's scary. He's a scary player because the hit rate on these tweener types is very low. Every 10 years, okay, we have an Aaron Hernandez. A decade later, we have a Jordan Reed. But we also have a lot of Tim Wrights in between. And that's what worries me with Evan Ingram. That's why I have him definitively behind the big three, O.J. Howard, David Njoku, and Bucky Hodges. So sue me. If he's going to stay at tight end, I think at the very worst, he could be more of like a PPR guy, just catching short passes. But I think I think he has a lot more upside than, than that. He could get downfield with his speed. He should be used downfield more. But I think, I think unfortunately, he might be pigeonholed into like a Jordan Reed type. I think, and I think that's just gonna be that's just gonna be a waste. I think he's just, he, I think he's just. Yeah, it reminds me of Niles Paul coming out of Nebraska. Niles Paul was a wide receiver at Nebraska, but was a tweener, and they converted him to tight end, and they said you got to gain weight, and it took him years to finally get up to 250 pounds. Then he actually supplanted Jordan Reed during training camp and then (laughs) suffered a compound fracture in his ankle and was out for the season. So just as he won a starting role, it was ripped away from him. Poor Niles Paul, just another one of these tweeners that has yet to fire in the NFL and is a warning flare for all of you running out to draft Evan Ingram. I would rather take Bucky Hodges. (laughs) 
There's a case to be made for Jonu Smith as well. Jonu Smith, 6'3", 248, so he's not a big player. He's similar size to David Njoku, but similar explosion to David Njoku as well. Runs a 4'6'2", 130.0, 93rd percentile burst score. So another one of these exciting size speed specimens at the tight end position. Nate, I know that Fusu's not familiar with any of these lower profile tight ends because he didn't prepare for the show. You typically don't prepare for the show either, but have you at least heard of this Jonu Smith character from Florida International? Only a little bit. Um, he he had four seasons there in his junior year. There wasn't a ton of production, but I don't really expect an immense amount of production out of tight end prospects when they're finishing their collegiate career. I mean, it's rare that you're going to find a guy that had 80-plus catches as a tight end. So generally, these guys are in that 30-catch to sort of 50-catch range. But this class is a phenomenal class. This class is changing everything. This class is a special class. This class is defying all the odds. Oh, that's correct. I mean, it's this is the most athletic tight end class that you're probably going to see in a long time. And it might be the most athletic tight end class that there's ever been. I don't know that for sure. But Adam Shaheen from Ashland is 6'6", 278. And he ran a 4.79, and he also posted an 11.47 agility score. An 11.47 agility score from a player that stands 6.6278 is exceptional. There's also we haven't talked about him right now, but there's also George Kittle, who's what six foot five, 247 pounds, ran a 4.52, 11 foot broad jump. Woo. I think he had a 35-inch vertical. So there's a lot of guys at tight end in this class that are phenomenal athletes, and I think that's the one thing that we talk about. What about Gerald Everett? Yeah. Gerald Everett, 462, also incredible burst, 128.6, 92nd percentile, and 1132, 79th percentile agility score, but 6'3", 229. So he's another tweener similar to Neil Sterling, the current starter, according to the depth chart, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Gerald Everett was a dominant college producer at South Alabama, 31.7%, 89th percentile dominator rating. He can play football. I mean, when you look at the percentile ranks across the tight ends, it's amazing now. Burst score, it's like class of 2017, class of 2017, class of 2017, class of 2017. The class of 2017 is going to save the world, guys. The NFL doesn't know what they have. They always have this even distribution of cornerbacks and quarterbacks and wide receivers in every draft class. It's a very monolithic distribution from year to year, and that's how you know it's irrational. They're not adjusting to the quality differential from year to year. This is an awful wide receiver class. 
So how does that not put Mike Williams in the first round then? There's always at least three wide receivers in the first round. Are you really not understanding what I'm saying? Fusu, can you explain it to him? The class of 2017 is going to save the world, guys. It's at least got the athletes, right? I mean, that's the one thing we talk about. You can't teach athleticism. Show's over, Nate. That was the punctuation. (laughs) Don't you not know yet when we've hit the crescendo? In the end, it's all subjective. That's how this went. So it's fine. You have a take. I have a take. He has a take. The whole point of the show is it's not subjective. It's objective. We strive for objectivity. So does Fusu View. Dorsett hasn't hit yet. He's overrated. He's not overrated. He was drafted too high. He's overrated. He's not overrated. He was drafted too high. It's all going in the outtakes. People need to know how incompetent you are and how completely oblivious to your responsibilities you continue to be every single week. Wait, is Ishmael Zaboros a wide receiver? I've got him as my number two wide receiver. What? It reminds me of Guy Squeeze Juice on LSU. David Njoku is no joke. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. No, stop, stop, stop. We're doing the intro earlier. This isn't that intro. You're introducing our guest. In fairness, we've only had like two guests on ever, so Nate's not good at this part. This is understandable. Fusu, Nate has you in this stratosphere of analysts. You were his number one choice, his dream get. You were Nate's first choice. You were the only one that got a rose. Number one, you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. That was a little over the top. Nate, can you speak up, by the way? I can barely hear you. Are you talking into a sock? What are you doing? Oh, it's a great name. I'm just glad that we know that it's his actual name. Fusu's takes melt my face off. We've got the outtakes. I'm still recording. Give us your Gerald Everett take. Uh, Gerald Everett, man, just, uh, there's nothing to say about him. There really isn't. This an athletic class. I mean, that's really the bottom line. By the way, Nate, that take you wanted to make about Joe Mixon being a raw route runner, you can use it now with Curtis Samuel if you'd like. You can copy and paste your take from earlier into the correct running back where it belongs, Curtis Samuel. I was thinking last night all the different ways you were bad on the show. How do you not know who Ishmael Zamora is? You should have given me a hard time about that. Let me get this straight. You didn't know who Ishmael Zamora is, and you didn't rank him at all? Is this a pretty egregious error? Is it crazy that he doesn't know this? Or is this a crazy mistake he's making right now? You need to jump in. You don't need to keep little animal slaves just because you're lonely. We domesticated dogs out of necessity for our own protection thousands of years ago. We had domesticated wolves and they became dogs. Okay, great. Well, we're we're kind of over it now. You got that out of your system. You feel better now. Can we get on to what we're about to do? Pets are more overrated than Zay Jones. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, hold on. Let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. Matt, Podfather, Matt, Podfather, Matt, Podfather. No mention of Nate whatsoever on iTunes. Let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. Your and company. <laughs> All the time with Matt doing podcasts, 
just getting fucking rained on with fire from the sky. Napalm. All episode. A vague reference that alludes to your presence. <laughs> and company. Are you kidding me? I hope Brennan eats a bad plate of Chinese food. The iTunes thing will be funny. I tried to play it up a little more. It's really not one iTunes review that's got my name on it. Is there a character limit on iTunes? Either way, does he have a future in the NFL? And is Nate still with us? I've got him as my number two wide receiver. What? Next time I don't know who Ishmael Zamora is, let me have it, buddy. You should think about the iTunes reviews every time you need to summon the sharp edges of your personality to criticize me. I've got him as my number two wide receiver. What? Number two. Number two wide receiver. It was an accomplishment just to get him. It's like getting like Edward Snowden. But what about McNichols, though? I like him a lot. I mean, some people might see him. Maybe he's just a third down guy. But I mean, I think he has potential to be like a feature back. Hell yeah, dude. Don't forget to say that on the show. I love that. But you know he doesn't see those vectors in the second level. That's maddening to me. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not the most creative guy in open field. Wow, that was being really nice. By the way, you got to come a little stronger with the takes. You can't be like, well, he's not the most creative guy in the open field. No, you have to hammer him. You have to destroy his open field spatial awareness to make sure people know that when the open field touches him, he just starts looking up at the sunlight and just running on clouds. Next thing you know, he's getting clocked by a free safety every fucking time. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where he runs right into the safety when there's open daylight to his right or his left, and he just plows straight ahead. That's frustrating to me. That's why his yards per carry was so low. McNichols does not see those diagonal vectors on the second level. He runs right into safeties whenever given the opportunity. I love you, McNichols. By the way, you got to come a little stronger with the takes. You can't be like, well, he's not the most creative guy in the open field. No, you have to hammer him. You have to destroy his open field spatial awareness. Let's just, let's, just, let's just relax for a second here. More of a dynamic playmaker than Julio Jones? Mike Williams is wearing a shell necklace in his official headshot. Let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. He's wearing a shell necklace, Nate. It came from Baylor, which does produce, you know, say video game numbers. And criminals. Let's just, let's, just, let's, just, let's just relax for a second here. It's a hard choice. <laughs> I think I think P, I think P Ryan's power is underrated. That's not how this show works. This show is about takes. Pretend this is Twitter. Pretend this is a show version of Twitter, a podcast version of Twitter. You come hot with your takes. You need an opinion. You need to be striking with your opinion. You can't just state Leonard Fournette. You have to state Leonard Fournette with some conviction. You should have been prepared, Fusu. You want your running backs prepared to play on Saturdays and Sundays, don't you? Well, as a podcast guest, you need to be prepared for these questions. Let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. Are you telling me that if Mike Williams is available in the <laughs> at number 26, I'm going to pass it? Yeah, I'm going to take Mike Williams if he's available at number 26 all day, every day. 
Okay, you'd be a terrible NFL GM. Which means you would blend right in with all the rest. Let's just, let's just, let's just relax for a second here. You're going to definitely be on an island all by yourself saying he's not a first-round wide receiver. I'm just telling you right now. That's an empty island. Fusu, what do you think of Matt Miller? Public enemy, number one.